0: Hey, friends, we're mixing things up as we close out season five of the podcast by sharing some of our favorite convos that John and I have had guesting on other podcasts.
1: We had the honor of joining our friend Katie Appold on Nonprofit Hub's amazing podcast, Good to Growth. Be sure to subscribe and add it to your queue. In this episode, we dive into the themes emerging from the nonprofit sector in 2022, and everything's on the table from next gen donors to batch working for efficiency, the overhead myth, and mental health.
0: We hope you enjoy.
1: Hey, I'm John.
0: So welcome to the good community. We're nonprofit professionals, philanthropists, world changers, and rabid fans who are striving to bring a little more goodness into the world.
1: So let's get started.
2: So one thing you can count on John and Becky for is real insight into real nonprofit issues. And we are going to dig into everything because we are talking about nonprofit trends, the good, the bad, and everything else. Let's get started. John and Becky, thank you so much. You had me on your program, I don't know, six months or so ago, and I had the best time. I laughed and laughed and laughed. And so it's only fitting that we bring that joy over here.
0: Uh, We loved having you. Love what you guys are doing over at Nonprofit Hub and anything we can do to amplify your good work is a good day for us.
1: Seriously, such a huge honor. And we got the best feedback on your episode. People just loved it.
2: Oh, cool. Yay. Yeah. Love that. Well, this is going to be the same. So for our audience, tell us um, a little bit, and I want to hear from both of you, a little bit of your background, how you got into this work and what We Are For Good is all about.
0: Well, I'll start um, because I'm the elder statesman of the two of us <laughs> and John's my little brother kind of virtually, um, but I got my start in um, non-profit, spent my whole life um, as a non-profit purist, um, mostly in the marketing and public relations side, um, got hired really early on to run my alma mater's marketing department um, and start it um, at Oklahoma State University's foundation and about a year into that journey as I was kind of wandering through the desert, I I call it, because I didn't know what I was doing. I mean, just experiencing huge imposter syndrome. I stumbled upon this amazing um, graphic design intern who walked into my office, whose name was Jonathan McCoy, (laughs) wearing a tie. And his portfolio (laughs) was more impressive than anything that we had in our entire office. And so hired him. um, We just synced as human beings and our values. um, spout are not married to each other, but our spouses are very dear friends. We're all have just been on a just really aligned journey our whole lives, like work to run a million dollar marketing budget, launch a billion dollar campaign, and then we had complete uh, shell shock, and we moved to Oklahoma City and started working for Oklahoma's largest not for profit healthcare system there, and went from 150 employees down to ten, and figured out how to wear all the hats, and did some annual giving there, donor engagement. Um, I led the mar- the major gifts team, was a major gifts officer, kind of just wherever needed us to fill in. So that's kind of a little bit about my, my background story. And we're based out of Edmond, Oklahoma. Amazing.
2: Yeah. John, so, you know, an intern with a tie. Love that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and like this dorky portfolio walking in, you know, I appreciate that she gave me this opportunity because I thought she had it all together. And I love that now she was just this 20 year old that didn't know what she was doing. Like it feels really great. But, you know, we just kind of always talked about what's going to be next because we love philanthropy. Like it is just like our heart song. We love the transformation that not just the impact that I feel like most people talk about, but like what it does to the giver and the donor. And we just think that the world can positively change if we can get more people involved in their personal philanthropy as it connects to their story and to their life and their values and all those things. And so we just kind of kept looking for what's going to be this next step. And I'm like this. I binge listen to podcasts and I love entrepreneurship. And I just was kind of tracking this space and I'm like, I think the nonprofit sector is really void of a lot of that thinking, you know, cause we're scarcity minded and we're kind of locked in a box and it's always about budgets. And so we just kind of had this idea, like, what if we, you know, jump ship and started this podcast where we started to talk to innovative people that are doing kind of this entrepreneurial minded work um, in the nonprofit space. And that just kind of snowballed. It's now the We Are for Good podcast. And it has just been the the funnest journey. Is that a word, funnest? I need to Most know that fun, since I'm but 39. I'm the
0: designer, I'm the writer. It's totally cool. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but, um, Yeah. So, I mean, that's just been this way that we were able to step out and really claim our space because we love and know philanthropy. And we just applied that to a business because we don't know how to run a business, but we do know how to build a movement. And that's what this has always been about is creating a movement around really this impact uprising we want to see in the sector.
2: That is a beautiful mission. Um, Love it. Love it. Okay. So you, I mean, you mentioned, you talk to innovative people, you talk to entrepreneurs, all of which have some impact on the nonprofit space. What's some con common themes that you've heard for 2022? I love oh,
1: this question. I feel I like you're too. like giving us our favorite topic. We're,
2: we're not going to unpack them all. We <laughs>
0: rolled them all into eight themes that we were seeing this year. And I'll just highlight a couple of, or at least one or two. And John, you can take one or two, but I think one of the most prevalent themes we've found is culture is everything mm-hmm. right now. And I think, nonprofit and in really social impact too is just feeling the fatigue of trying to sustain and adapt and grow and pivot so quickly during pandemic and it was it, it's not within our wheelhouse to move quickly and to make decisions that um, have immediate impact and so i think we were feeling kind of the fatigue of everyone in that and but we noticed that cultures where inclusivity and there was a lot of transparent communication where there was fun and rituals and mental health balance and pouring into professional development. These kind of things elevated some of these organizations that are not experiencing a lot of that burnout and compassion fatigue. And so we've been really dialed into what makes a great culture and how is it more than your retreats and having pizza, you know, on occasion, it's like, how do you bake it in to the DNA? And it's about shifting power dynamics. It's making sure that your board is on exactly the same page as your staff. You're all in lockstep. And so that's one that I would lift John. I'm really curious to hear which one you lift out.
1: I mean, it's hard to to narrow it, but I think one that's really disrupted my mindset because, you know, I led at our healthcare philanthropy. So the last decade of our life, most of that time I was leading annual giving. And so really focused on growing the donor base and running events and like sitting, running a gala at the back, you know, with our like widgets and stuff. And I think this shift that's happening, the cultural shift is mirrored kind of in the donor side, because we're seeing like, as cultures come alive, that's attracting donors also to like-minded value. I mean, we're all going through this reckoning of like, what, what really matters in our life? What do we want to spend our life doing? And so I love that we're seeing that on the donor side. And this is the trend is that donor behavior matters more than amount and the people that you're engaging. It's what actions are they taking that you need to be paying attention to where they're either testing or coming into the circle to see what giving it to your organization's like or seeing what the impact like or seeing how it feels. Those are the kind of transformational people that we really need to watch less than just, if we just pull a report of like who gave over a million dollars, it's going to be these three people, the same three people, but you're missing the people that have incredible capital. That's not just money. They may have incredible social social capital. capital. Yes. Yes. And like, so these movements that we're seeing happening where you can get thousands of people behind it that person may not have any money in the bank, you know, but they could have the most powerful social capital. And so love that, that trend. And we worked a lot with Lynn Wester, and I know she's been connected with y'all too. She's a great thinker, but she's really given some strategies behind how do you actually activate on that? And it's about having a donor relations program that sees people and is really watching for the small shifts and the small movements and, and pouring that into how your program supports people too. So I love that trend. And I think, it's a reckoning that we've been hoping for all these decades. Cause we always wanted to Absolutely. flip the pyramid, you know, we want to flip the pyramid yeah, over. Yeah. And, and I think that that's happening in a lot of ways right now. So it's a really exciting time.
2: Especially with like this next generation of donors. I mean, mm. we did, uh, I'm, I'm trying to remember what the episode was. It was several months ago, but all about the next generation of philanthropy and social capital is. Isn't it yeah. exciting? Yes. It yeah. <laughs> I mean, because we can't be limited to what our impact is. We should look at how much, how can we create a movement? I love that. I love that.
1: Yeah. And I'll just
2: piggyback on that too, because I can't help it. But it's
0: (laughs) like, when you look at like Gen Z, and you look at the way that they want to engage, I mean, we've been hardwired. And I'll tell you, I've been a fundraiser for 20 years. I'm trying to unwind this mindset that the KPI is the gift and the financial commitment. And that is what we chase But we're finding even with Gen Z, if we can onboard them, Very early in in a very engaging, transparent, authentic experience where they feel our mission, they feel like they want to be a part of it. They put you in their budget, you know, their family budget at the beginning. They don't even think about it. It's like their Netflix, you know, subscription that just kind of flows on their credit card. And all of a sudden, the more that you engage, The giving grows as their income capacity grows and their affinity grows. And it just is about moving into more spaces than financial. It's about network because they're not going to be able to give a lot right now, but they have great influence in their network. So peer-to-peer becomes really interesting. We're just geeked out about how we're watching the sector shift. And those that are really innovating it are winning in this game. So it's really exciting time. Okay, I have to thread
1: one more example. You just have to cut (laughs) us off at some point, right? But it's happening on the corporate side too, you know, because we grew up just sliding across the sponsor packet to will you please buy a table and oh, let's hope they buy a bigger table this year than last. And it's like- money is like the smallest common denominator for partnership nowadays. You know, it's like you can activate an employee base around something. You can get an in-kind, you can actually infiltrate the actual organization as you value align. And it's all about value align. so I think everything we see chases back to values and it's like, how good is this? Like, this should be our moment as nonprofit. We've been living this out for decades. Like people are wanting to find more focus and attention on the things that matter most. And heck we've been doing that. You know, it's like, this is our moment. I'm just so excited about it.
2: So, I totally agree. Do you think that nonprofit boards? I mean, I think more diversity is needed in terms of younger leaders in order to really cultivate this, though, too. Because Becky, you mentioned the KPIs. I mean, excuse the language, but there's no other word for it. A board of good old boys—they're not gonna—they're not gonna award that. Um, so we need to make that shift as well at the leadership side.
0: I'm so geeked out that you mentioned boards because we're seeing just a, another reckoning happening specifically in the DEI space of nonprofit on boards. And having these boards of our good old boys is, is actually prohibiting us from a lot of different things that we're seeing play out in nonprofit First of all, it's not attracting diverse candidates to come work with us. And it's not attracting diverse candidates to want to join our board. Um, It's not being representative of the populations that we serve. And we're finding that that is so important that your board needs to reflect that beneficiary of your mission, because how in the world could we ever relate? I mean, we have a great friend that we'd even recommend if anybody's interested in this to go check out Crystal Cherry. She's the board pro out of Atlanta. You know her. And and, and yeah. Yeah, we love her so much, but she talks about, you know, she's on a homeless um, organization's board. And she said, we literally have someone on our board who used to be homeless because that lived experience is so critical to making sure that we are ethically moving in a space that has dignity, and that we're really dignifying the person that we're serving. And so we're really geeked out about really shifting how we talk to boards, how we recruit, how we train them. A lot of them don't want to be involved and ask, and we should respect that they have other gifts to our point, you know, about the, the changing of corporate landscape, they have networks, they have influence, they have employees and companies they have all kinds of things beyond just what they can give or get and so it's it's such an exciting time and we are really linked into the board conversation because we know that has a trickle down effect to every part of the organization as well
1: hey friends this episode is presented by virtuous and they just happen to be one of our favorite companies let me tell you why You know we believe everyone matters, and we've witnessed the greatest philanthropic movements happen when you see and activate donors at every level. And here's the thing. Virtuous created a fundraising platform to help you do just that. It's much more than a nonprofit CRM. Virtuous is committed to helping charities reimagine generosity through responsive fundraising, which is simply putting the donor at the center of fundraising, growing giving through personalized donor journeys, and by helping you respond to the needs of every individual. We love it because this approach builds trust and loyalty through personalized engagement. Sound like Virtuous may be a fit for your organization? Learn more today at Virtuous.org or follow the link in our show notes.
0: Small Shop Executive Directors, this PSA is for you. When we peel back the layers of the small shop ED onion, what's at the root of it all? It's time. You need more time, want to save time, don't have enough time. With more hours in the day, you can work on the things that are in your zone of genius, focus on the big impact initiatives to raise more, Think strategically and be creative. So, if you're an ED feeling like you're being pulled in a million different directions and drowning in your to do list, here's an epic professional development opportunity for you called the Productive Executive Director. It's a 12 month learning journey, part curriculum, coaching, and community designed for small shop executive directors like you. And it's led by our friend and small shop coach, Rachel Baerbauer. Enrollment to this community is open right now, but only for a few days. And because you're a loyal listener, Rachel is offering $25 off your first month if you use the code weareforgood25. Rachel has coached me individually and she is a brilliant systems manager that builds efficiency, trust, and productivity. We highly recommend it. Enrollment closes July 1st, so check it out now. Learn more at smallshopstrategies.com backslash productive.
2: One of the themes that I'm hearing all the time, and this is nothing new. This is not a COVID thing. This is just a nonprofit thing is the lack of time or a lack of capacity. Um, You know, I had a conversation with somebody recently and she shared that, you know, you have time for what you prioritize. And in the conversation, we were actually talking about marketing, nonprofit marketing. How How do we help nonprofits to prioritize what matters? And I know you guys are both marketing gurus, so I'm going to ask you specifically about that. How do we make the time? How do we find it? How do we manifest capacity?
1: Yeah. I mean, okay. I love this question. We feel this question. I mean, we're a team of three that, you know, jumped into the deep end to start. We are for good, but for us, like marketing is like a lifeline. And I think I want to thread this together with the themes. Cause I think it's important is value aligned. Marketing is a lifeline because to us, it is our tangible expression of our mission. Like we are well aware and any nonprofit could apply this philosophy to how we show up and how we serve in our social channels and the things that probably seem like let's give that to the intern is also an expansion of our mission. And so we view that as kind of part of our core belief is like, we're here to serve people. And so I think if you can kind of shift your mindset around that, you're not just trying to usher people to donations, you're trying to accomplish your mission. So it may be changing a lot of mindsets, you know, um, in the actual, like, time piece, I feel like there is a gross underuse of the tech that's available to us in the sector. And, you know, we're agnostic in terms of which tech platform we like to advise people to. We, you know, there's a lot of great, wonderful people in the space that have poured their lives into building these solutions. But the bigger problem is people actually using it. And I think, you know, we've talked to the, our friends at Now It Matters, um, Tim Lockie and Tracy Kronzak they talk a lot about it's like the human stack is more important than the tech stack because it's more of the problem with us and our inability to embrace it or to lean into it, go Mm -hmm. to some trainings and learn how to use it. And I think of my own career, I didn't leverage our CRM. I didn't leverage the automations. I was doing so much one-off laborious work whenever they're designed and built to help you kind of do some of these tasks that are really burdensome. And so I do think I would take a hard look at like, what, are, where are you spending your time and what is kind of the bigger question that you're trying to achieve? And then overlay that with what tools are available that may take some required listening and learning from me to like figure out, because we do this all the time and we're trying to, you know, ma- manufacture time and it's an impossible task, but little efficiencies, like t- totally like do stack up. And they're like our lifeline for us as a small business, um, that's trying to like do t- way too much, you know, in a small amount of time.
0: Yeah, I'll I'll give some tactics because John is the high P, I'm always he's a, Myers-Briggs, sorry. I'm a high J, so I'm more the doer. He's philosophical. But I mean, just to piggyback on some of that, I mean, we think batch work is game changing. That's an entrepreneurial hack. I mean, we drop three episodes a week, which everybody thinks is insane, including me and Julie, but not John. He wanted five a week. Um, and so we batch on Thursdays. We do four every Thursday. And while we do that, Julie is writing the show notes while the interview is going on. Julie's our producer. We do all the intros and outros, and we can truly batch over a week's more than a week's worth of episodes in one day. And that still gives us four other days to lean into the other parts of our digital ecosystem. And so I think batching your work is a really helpful tip. If you're trying to do contact reports, do two hours every You know, every other Friday, block it on your calendar and write them all. Once you get in flow, there's something very automated about that. I think I just think of automations that you can use in tech. I mean, we use Zapier. We use Tailwind to you to post our social media um, and I just think it's it's really about working smarter um, and not harder, and taking a hard look and stepping back and saying where is the bulk of my time going? And I, you know, we just talked about this on an episode that's dropping um, for us today when we were kind of talking about the Great Resignation and what we're seeing and how people in for profit are a little intimidated and fearful to come over to nonprofit because you have to wear so many hats. I'm using my air quotes as I say that. (laughs) And it gives, it, it doesn't give the sense of focus that you can get. And so it's really incumbent upon our leaders to allow our staff to stay in their zone of genius and allow them to really focus to what you said earlier on what's most important, what's prioritized. And a donor relations person should not be doing All of the donor relations, plus the events, plus it feeds into annual giving all at one time. You know, they need to stay in their zone of genius and really pour into that. And they're going to be so much more effective. And we just think that there are really cool hacks. I'll give one more. We really believe in content syndication. And this is this concept of taking one really strong piece of content. It could be an impact report. It could be your ED speech at a gala. It could be... In something that you've written in a donor letter, and we break it apart. You can take a quote and use that as a social media graphic. You can take the image and socialize it and tell a story with it. And it's really about creating a bunch of content out of already existing content. And you're just putting a focus on it. That's not the whole enchilada, but you're really breaking it apart and you're socializing it, which is really cool because if you can do that in a social setting, People then give feedback, then you have testimony, then you have engagement, you have story, you have people sharing and tagging people. There's so many benefits to that. So those are just a couple of quick hacks that we have too.
2: I love that. Um, Amen. Amen on all of that. And you guys know, I mean, we have a tiny team too, tiny for the scope of what we're we're running. And it's funny because one of my board members actually questioned our IT our IT software, you know, line item in the budget, because it is our largest line item other than payroll. And they just couldn't fathom, you know, why do you need so much technology? Like, well, because we have five people. (laughs)
1: Yeah. (laughs) Right. That's our online services tab and our budget. It's just crazy, but it's like we're a digital company, you know, of course that's our, where our investments are. But
2: we're doing the work of 25 people Mm -hmm. in technology and batching and syndication and thinking outside the box. And that's how it gets done. Amazing. Amazing tips. And I'll just say, don't be scared of technology. I will. I mean, I'm 20
0: years in this business. It was clunky. It's been clunky for quite a while, but the last four to five years. I mean, there are free CRMs. We're seeing people offer free crypto. If you're, if you don't know how to do crypto, totally cool. There are comp- Pledge does crypto, free crypto. Every.org does free crypto. There are great tech out there that can truly help you move more quickly and let you stay in your lane.
1: And if I can say something about batching, because this is just like a pro tip, because I think it's easy to set everything on autopilot. And I think there's a danger in that, too, because especially with social, because social by nature is community centric and it's social, you know, like. So while the post could be automatic, if you're going to only take a few minutes of time, like to go in and engage on this post in case, Katie, Katie, I see you do this all the time. Yeah, You're really good. It's at like K- on LinkedIn it's everything to tag somebody to say, Hey, I think you would enjoy this. And it's like, if that's going to be two minutes, but you're not spending the two minutes writing the post, like that was done whenever, but the engagement you can't fabricate. And so I think we don't want to miss that and being so automated that we miss these really powerful engaging moments that could take our syndicated content to the next level.
2: Absolutely. <sighs> little, little tiny things with big, big rewards, big impact. Yeah, yep. I totally. It. I want to go deeper on technology. Um, <laughs> Because we have, we've, I don't know what it is. We've just gotten a lot of feedback lately where people don't know what to pursue because there's so many options. I um, mean, it's funny, the person who made me think of this question, she said there's segmenting, there's retargeting. She's like, I know there's like five things I should be doing. <laughs> oh, I feel yeah. her. <laughs> yeah. How do we prioritize? What do you guys see as like, like, I don't want to say base level, but like these are the things that we should all be doing.
1: Yeah, well, what comes to mind immediately first is just this. I'm sorry, I'm tone setting again. Right, watch this. Is that we have to have this fundamental belief in the power of professional development. And I mean, y'all's organization is all about professional development, so I know this is in your core too. But like, you have to believe that making this investment in myself to grow is going to be worth so much longer than me trying to figure it out. I mean, from the king and queen of trying to figure it out for 15 years in development, some courses, especially there's so many people in this space now that are experts. I think of like Dana Snyder in launching social ads, I could spend days and weeks Googling about what's matters, or I could take Dana's class and learn how to do ads in the afternoon and be like producing and so we have to like, think about that. Like once we have prioritize, how can we like cut off the time to deploying whatever it is? And I'm so all about that. There's a lot of free tools. All the CRMs now have their own like knowledge base and workshops and things like that. I think that people just aren't really leaning into, but the more time we're trying to just spin our wheels and figure it out on ourself, like that's what we did in the nineties. Like now is like, we need to just find the people that can be our guide and help us cut off. You know, months of learning, in my view, and so I think that's a fundamental place that I would start. Um, but yeah, be I'll, I'll just add
0: one little one on there. Just I feel like I'm tactic girl today. Yeah. Um, but if if you've never heard of Pond and you're feeling very intimidated by tech, we really encourage you to go to join Pond. Dot .com I mean all you have to do is kind of just tell them what they're looking for and they will literally bring you your suitors. It is like yes. The Bachelor um inverted.
2: <laughs> so <laughs> And if you, you go to Cause Camp
1: your- you get credits and stuff too, right? Yeah, you this do. Is all good. Yeah, you, do. Yes. you
0: can so, use
2: your and- for for our membership or Cause Camp. Yeah, yeah it's like Gosh. if you
0: even just by interacting and pouring into learning about technology, you can actually earn dollars to do things. I love that you brought the Cause Camp connection up, but I mean, for someone who is so intimidated by it, does not understand the language, does not understanding all the ings um, to your to your point, Pond kind of does that for you. And they're just a good, we love Mitch Stein. He's such a great founder and good human. And um, yeah, I, w- I would say start there if you're looking at ground zero and you're looking for a
2: place to start. Absolutely. Totally agree with Pond. I also, I have learned so much from Dana Snyder. Um, Because we have her on webinars, which we always put on demand. And she taught at Cause Camp 2022. And I'm guessing she'll show up at 2023.
1: Yeah, that's great.
2: Okay. So it also seems, uh, keeping with the trend thing. So time is a thing. Technology is a thing. Crises are a thing. Now, I mean, I know, I know nonprofits live in the tyranny of the urgent and every day is some upheaval that we can't anticipate, but major things like COVID and war and economic booms and busts, like it all feels like it's more frequent. What tips do you have for nonprofit pros to just kind of maintain their sanity, to, to maintain some, some levelness in the midst of all of this?
0: I'm so glad you asked this question. Thank you for asking this question, because we think one of the elephants in the room with nonprofit is just this commitment to mental health and, compa- and addressing compassion fatigue and burnout. And I'll just share like a quick little personal story. I mean, I was in the grind of being a major gift officer, working in nonprofits, wearing all the hats. And if you're type A and put too much pressure on yourself, like I do historically in my life, you know, I just hit a ceiling, um, in 2019 and I truly, I, John, it makes John uncomfortable, even though I joke about it, um, said that I lost my marbles and I had a complete mental collapse and I, it had been building and we could not pinpoint what it was. I mean, ruling out just crazy things like tumors and MS. And I shared the story, on our podcast of what happened to me, because I wanted people to understand what it looks like and what the warning signs are, and how to get ahead of it. Because I was so shocked that it would happen to me, and I um, felt myself come alive. And f- I mean, I found myself and jumped to where for good once I truly hit that rock bottom and moved out. But it's like we have got to be building cultures. Systems, environments where people feel psychological safety. I mean, we've talked about this a lot on the podcast. We had an entire podcast week dedicated to mental health, and we are sh- we continue to be so shocked by the amount of people in nonprofit who quietly—they don't come out very publicly and say it—but quietly confess that they have gone through this, that they are going through this. And so leaders, you've got to check in with your people. That's number one. And it's not, and if you say, how are you doing? And they say, fine, that's just not good enough. And we've got to be providing resources, you know, for how to work through bit, through burnout. I mean, I think having flexible work hours or flexible work arrangements, you know, whether somebody can work from home remotely. I mean, you talk about time. If you take commuting time out, I mean, I live 30 minutes from my old office. And so that's an hour of time I could actually get back and I'm at home and I'm in my yoga pants and my dog is here. And, you know, it's, it's just, there's something calming and centering about that. And so I really just encourage anyone who's working through through this, to have conversations, to bring in speakers about this, to pour into maybe a little bit of professional development, have a day off. I take my kids at once a year, get a mental health day where they can literally come to me and say, life is too much. And they're little, like they're eight and 11. And, but we're talking about listening to your body and looking for signs that life is just too much. And our work is hard. And what's going on with social justice wars? Everything that you're talking about, it is fatiguing, and we're in a marathon, and there is no way to sprint through this and survive. So, thank you for lifting that. And John, feel free to jump in and add anything well, else we've talked about.
2: Becky, thank you for sharing that. Oh, you're welcome. You. It's my joy to do it. Yeah, yeah you are and, not alone. Oh my goodness.
1: Oh my goodness. I mean, I think I get to be kind of just a friend and be- to Becky in that journey, and I will just say. To complement what she said is community, you know, like, and I know y'all put a lot of focus in this at nonprofit hub. We have a lot of focus in our world too, because the only way to like transverse all of this craziness and to manage it all is to have like-minded peers that can like lift you up and support you and make you feel not alone in the journey. And the world is so connected now, like you've got to find people, you know, that you have support to. So I agree with all the things that the leaders need to pour into. And it's really something that's on every factor. I think of the equity equation on every level that pours into this too, but just a a how-to is just go find some people that you feel connected to because it helps a ton um, just to talk through things.
0: And here's my practical tip. I mean, we had a great leader that came onto our podcast and we talked a lot about mentoring and coaching, and I think they said it s- so well. And if you have the funding to do any part of this, I really encourage you to do it for your staff, but a therapist helps you look backwards. I am I pick up my own therapy, <laughs> you know, but a mentor Helps you work through the present, and a coach is going to help you work through aspirationally where you want to be. And so they're they're saying luminary leaders have all three, and they're Mm -hmm. going all the time. I don't know if all of us feel like we have the bandwidth to pour into all three all the time, but I do think that that is something. If you could even pick one, we talk a lot about how do you make a one degree change, you know, in your day, in your work. Make a one degree change. Pick something, and really, I want to just say to everybody listening, you are worthy of taking a break. You're worthy of having this time invested in you and doing this inner work. And it's actually going to help trigger so many more wonderful things in your life, not just in your job, but in your personal relationships, in your communities, to John's point. So we think it pays many dividends and the leaders that can see that on the front end and the individuals that feel brave enough to express that to their leader, they're the ones that are really thriving. Mm.
2: Oh, so, so <laughs> needed. I just want to like loop this on our website because this is the message that everybody needs to hear. Absolutely. And I mean, one thing I've struggled with, and this is, this is super compartmentalizing, but I think there's some wisdom in it. Your job, no matter how noble it is, is a job. Yep. It is not your life. Your title yep. is not your worth. And a board or a donor or your team do not dictate your value. A job is a job.
0: I'm putting on my party hat. Please say it again (laughs) and again. Yes
2: it's louder for the people in the back. Yeah, I know. I know. It's hard when you're doing such mission critical work, but it's man, it's truth. It's truth.
1: I feel like that's what snowballed too, is like, it is like mission work. So we're like, Oh, I just need to give more. I need to stay late. I need to do all these things. Give out my cell phone number, all these things that ultimately just completely drain and deplete us and then pull us out of being able to do it. So you're right on.
2: Okay, so this has all been good, but when we rebranded the podcast, it used to be called the Hubcast, which was kind of cheesy and people Cute. thought it was like an automotive. Um. <laughs> 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 so we now call it the Good to Growth Podcast because we know nonprofits are already doing good. We're going to help them grow. Love so that. we always ask for a bit of good news, something you see trending, happening, um, something you just want nonprofits to know
1: Oh my my gosh. I love this one. So, you know, we mentioned, you know, we batch on Thursdays. So we just, Mm -hmm. today's a Friday, the day that we're recording. And we just came off of four back-to-back interviews and it can be a lot, you know, but I will tell you like the hope that I felt like we both like got teary eyed yesterday of just The power in this very moment, like it has been so hard and there's been so many challenges, but the reckoning that's happening, that's pushing people into our missions. Like I only see hope, like I see hope as the walls are coming down between businesses and for-profit nonprofit of just trying to get aligned on the same page. And the next chapter of this CSI corporate social impact is going to be so powerful. So it's a time for us to step in as nonprofits in the power that we have and have these crazy, amazing partnerships moving forward. I just think the moment is rife. Like I feel so much optimism.
0: I think something that I'm so excited about is, uh, John mentioned we we just batched these four episodes and we saw this recurring theme of transparent relationships and trust-based relationships that are emerging. And I just think what Mackenzie Scott has done to just blow the lid off of restricted giving and to give Unrestricted gifts, setting a tone that she's doing a lot of research into cultural vibrancy in organizations, um, the, the health of the employees, as well as the ED, the financial health. She's just going through and, and setting this new course for us, which feels so much better. And it's allowing us to, to kind of beat back at that overhead myth that plagues nonprofit. And so all of a sudden we're, we're looking at donors and we're saying, if you trust us, If you believe in this mission, then know that your unrestricted dollars are going to go to the place where we can do the most good. And then we're going to put it in a place that can accelerate the fastest because what is holding us back the most are slowness our scarcity mindset and our inability to innovate. And and to me, those are the three in nonprofit and having that kind of a mindset and teaching and training your donors to think about it in that way is going to allow us to scale and try things that we've never tried before. And just one quick pro tip for anybody that's looking for something, again, really practical and tactical, tell the story of now. Right now, I would say that just like as a storyteller, I see that as such low-hanging fruit for an organization. Tell the story of what your nonprofit has been through in this pandemic. Tell it rawly. Do not talk like a corporate robot. Throw in, you know, some levity, throw in some really bit some true sucker punches that have happened to your organization. And then at the end come out of it with hope, cast your vision. And then it's incumbent upon you to keep sharing that vision and bringing people along. I think too much, we're too pretty in in what we're doing in our shops. And we try to make it look very Norman Rockwell. And it's like, that's not real. And it's hard to connect with that you know especially online you can just sniff out somebody who's really inauthentic and so i just think telling the story of now and letting that be a launching pad to your storytelling of how you're going to launch that vision and how you need people to pour in with their time with their resources with their networks with their influence whatever they can do i think that is such low-hanging fruit get online if you're not online digitally you are going to, you are in 1.0 and web 3.0 is coming. So please get online and engage socially. Your people are there. Your people are not just in your physical neighborhood or community. They are global right now. And they want to hear about your mission.
2: Oh, that is so good. So good. And you're so affirming. Great (laughs) wrap to an episode about themes because authenticity, transparency, and hope I love that. I love that. What a great what a great cap. John and Becky, it is always a joy to see you and to oh, talk we to adore you. you. Thank you so much for taking the time to to help us yeah, keep the hope. Absolutely.
0: And thanks for how you're pouring into our sector. We so appreciate it. You're our allies.
1: Yep, yeah, such an honor to be here. Thank you, Katie.
2: I hope you enjoyed my conversation with John and Becky from We Are For Good. I have to say the hardest part about interviewing them is stopping the laughter before we hit record. Such a delight. And of everything we talked about, the thing that stuck with me the most is the need for community right now. So if you are feeling that, if you are feeling alone or like there's just no one with the same perspective or familiarity with what you're going through, please check out our nonprofit membership to the cause network. This is a community of people who are all pursuing professional development. They all want to further their career, but we're all dealing with the same issues it's a great community, it's easy to use, and I think it'll boost your confidence as well as teach you a thing or two. I know it has me. You can join the Cause Network by going to nonprofithub.org and clicking on membership. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. For more tools, tips, and techniques on fundraising, marketing, and all things nonprofit, be sure to check out nonprofithub.org. We hope you'll join us next week for another episode of the Good to Growth podcast on Nonprofit Hub Radio.